0: Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about.
1: Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Vibe Show. I'm your host, Robin Openshaw. And I have been excited all weekend. I'm recording this on a Monday. I've been excited all weekend about this because uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, Who I am interviewing today. I've always wanted to interview him. He is a PhD and I believe a a medical doctor as well, but he wrote the book, The Biology of Belief. And he was going way back to, I believe, the year I was born, he was studying stem cells. He was a stem cell biologist. And so he was way out in front on these cutting edge things that are now starting to become pretty mainstream. He's written three books. The Biology of of Belief is one that I was kind of late in reading it. I didn't read it before its uh, 10th anniversary reprint, but quite a famous book. And it's about how the mind or our perceptions and beliefs control our behavior and our genetic activity. The way we process trauma and the way we react to our environment has far more to do with whether we're healthy and whether we're happy than our actual genetics. And I've been so influenced by his work that after this recording and after my interview with him, I'm gonna a little bit later do an episode where I talk about some realizations that I had about some subconscious scripts that are running that sabotage me. And I'm gonna talk about something I've never discussed out loud before. So watch for that. Dr. Lipton was a professor of anatomy in the medical school at university of wisconsin for about 10 years he lectured on cell biology histology embryology you know all those ologies related to biology and before that he was at stanford university and he was studying the biochemical pathways that the mind actually creates in the ways our genes express he's a very fascinating person i know he was given the 2009 very prestigious Goy Peace Award in Japan in honor of his scientific contribution to world harmony. He's lectured all over the world in seven of the eight continents. He's just waiting for a, an invitation from the penguins to go speak in Antarctica. And he's a big fan of energy psychology, all those modalities that I know a lot of our readers are pretty tapped into, the energy healing modalities. He tells us that they work he tells us that, that it's a way to open up the mind and download new scripts without even having to do much work. It's not often that you find a medical school professor willing to go out there and share the why of that. So we'll ask him all about that. I'm very excited to introduce you to Dr. Bruce Lipton. Welcome to The Vibe Show, Dr. Lipton.
1: I am so happy to be here with you, and I so look forward to talking with the wonderful audience uh, that is following you, because they are the cultural creatives of this world. They're the people looking for answers that are outside of the conventional box. So um, thank you for this opportunity to be here.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Our audience is interested in raising their vibration and... You have been out there way, way ahead of most of the other people's becoming sort of almost trendy to say, hey, it's not our DNA, it's not our genes, they're not deterministic of our biology, but you've been out there, I think the Biology of Belief was published something like 13 years ago. It's a big question, but how is it that we aren't just automated by our genes? We don't have a preset destiny, but rather our thoughts are a big part of how our genes express. Talk about that. Well,
1: the, the, the big part about it is this, is that uh, the, there's a false interpretation that people have bought, and it's a, an error based on a science error about uh, 40 years ago, and the error has been corrected in science, but the public is still stuck with the belief that genes, which uh, presumably control the character not just of our body, but our behavior and emotions, uh, genes turn on and off by themselves. Uh, and when you buy that belief, what does it represent? And, and it's unfortunate because it says, well, did we pick the genes that, that we came with? As far as we know, no. Uh, if we don't like the characteristics, can we change the genes? The answer is no. Uh, and then you add to that that the genes are turning on and off by themselves. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a corner where you realize you're a victim of your heredity. That these things are unfolding, and then your life is just a uh, a reflection of an unfolding program of genetics. Uh, and when you buy that, then you bought victimization. I'm a victim of heredity. So when things don't work out right, it's like, oh, it's not me; it's my genes that are doing this. Or you know, a thing like cancer shows up, and immediately everyone says, oh, there's the cancer gene. Well, you know, uh, th- this is a false understanding. As a matter of fact, just uh, you know, now that, that I brought it up. There is no gene that causes cancer. (laughs) That's a fact of science. And so uh, we bought into a belief of being a victim. Well, the only problem with that is when you understand the new biology, and it's also connected with the new physics, quantum physics, they both say the exact same thing that our consciousness is creating our life experience both say that and i say why is it relevant i say well if your consciousness is you're a victim then you create a life experience to prove that you're a victim (laughs) and all of a sudden uh our beliefs are actually being turned into our life experiences and this is where the physics and the biology come together and say it's your belief that is manifesting your life experiences on this planet The profound important part about that is since we can change the belief, then we are empowered to totally change the character of our life. Uh, But we have to deal with these belief issues that uh, most of them were programmed into our life in the first seven years. Uh, And this is a period of a child's development where the brain is not operating even at the level of consciousness. The vibration is a little bit lower than consciousness in a child. Uh, It's in something called Theta which is characterized by imagination, which then goes back and say, yes, this is how children can have like a tea party, and they pour nothing into the cup from the pitcher, and then they drink the nothing, and they talk about how wonderful the tea was. Uh, I say that is a classic example of what theta is all about, mixing reality and imagination. But people don't recognize also as theta is uh, hypnosis. And and the reason you have to have this hypnosis is very simple is, Uh, For example, let's say you buy a new computer, and you turn it on, but there are no programs in it. Well, it turns on, but you can't do anything with it. Uh, First, you have to put the programs in, and then you can operate through the program. When a child is born, the brain is like a brand new computer, but it needs a program in which to operate from. And so I said, Well, how do you get the first programs? And I say, I'll go back to that age uh, from zero to seven, actually, last trimester of pregnancy to age seven. And I say, The programs are downloaded because the brain is in record. It's in hypnosis and it records the behavior of the parents, the siblings, and the community. And, and the reason this is very profound is if I said, Well, if you, there's a book, let's make a book of all the rules to be a functional member of a family in a community. And all of a sudden you start to see this book is going to get really pretty thick, lots of information about how to behave. I go, well, a child needs to learn these rules to be a functional member of the family in that community. I say, well, it's, and child isn't going to read this book. And I go, it doesn't have to, because it's nature of its nervous system is to record the behaviors of the existing family in the community. And they become the fundamental programs And this is how we get off the ground. Uh, And then the unfortunate part about all this is, uh, which we're going to talk a little bit more about, is that the programs that we got in the first seven years essentially derive the character of our lives for the rest of our lives. 95% of our life comes from these programs. And then you go back and go, oh, my God. When you look at those programs, about 70% of them are disempowering, self-sabotaging, and limiting. And I go, so what's the meaning? The meaning is this, 95% of my life is coming from the program I downloaded through my family and my community, and it doesn't represent what I want in my life. I'm just playing their programs. And that's where the struggle of life comes from. Our conscious mind, which is creative, has wishes and desires of love, health, happiness, good jobs, all these things. I say, that's great. That's the creative mind. But that only operates 5%. 95% of our biological behaviors controlled by the programs that we got in the first seven years. Since most of those are negative uh, and it comes in, let me emphasize this little sidebar. The word is subconscious mind. By definition, subconscious translates as below conscious. And so the behaviors that are coming out of our biology, 95% of the day are actually below the level of our consciousness. We don't see the behaviors. But most of them uh, most of these programs of these behaviors are as I said disempowering and self sabotaging and limiting. The only thing that we see because we don 't see the behavior going out is the response of that behavior, and that 's where we look at our life and goes wow, it doesn't really match my wishes and desires. And I go, that's because we're not using the conscious mind, which is the source of wishes and desires to control our life. Uh, 95% is coming from that program. And just to close that, So I mean, because this could go on, uh, it's very interesting. The idea that uh, the first seven years is programming and controls the rest of your life is not a new idea. Uh, it, it's been around for over 400 years, and people were told by the Jesuits... This is the classic statement, give me a child until it is seven and I will show you the man. This is a classic phrase from the Jesuits for 400 years, and it said exactly what we found now in the science. It's the first seven years of program that will determine the character of your life unless, and I'm adding this because, Robin, this is the real important part, unless we rewrite the program and then we have power over our lives
0: okay so it's a little bit of a shock for most people to learn that they think that they're driving the car they think that their conscious mind is in charge and they find out no 95 percent of your behaviors your emotions your choices are actually dictated by subconscious mind so, And you say that most of that is negative. There's a lot of bad parents out there. Why is so much of our programming below the surface negative?
1: But because it's not bad parents. It's that they got programmed themselves. And you can go back generation to generation. Every parent was a child and was programmed and when raising their child will pass that program on unconsciously just like they received it unconsciously uh, and therefore issues run in families and this is where people get confused because if there's something running in a family cancer is running in this family cardiovascular disease is running in this family we have always with the old biology uh taken that to mean that oh there are genes for the cancer. There are genes that cause cardiovascular disease and all that. And it turns out this is, this is totally false. There is no gene that causes cancer. And cardiovascular disease is clearly over 90% due to lifestyle. Uh, And basically, why is that relevant? Well, lifestyle is the way you're living. You can change the way you're living and change cardiovascular disease. Cancer Do not come from a gene. It's due to lifestyle that's not in harmony or support of you as an individual. And I go, well, why is all this important? And the conclusion is this. We've been blaming everything on genes. And it turns out, this is an important fact. I'll emphasize it in my emphasis voice. Less than 1% of disease is connected to genes. And I go, wow, what's that mean? I go, well, that means over 90% of disease has nothing to do with genes. And that's where we start to recognize in the new science. It's like, oh my goodness, 90% of disease is due to our consciousness, our, our environment that we live in, the programming that we got. And I go, and the significance of that? Well, those are things we can change. And all of a sudden it says, well, I don't have to have cancer. I don't have to have cardiovascular disease. I need to change the way I'm living, my program. And this is what we have to recognize is that we have been programmed. Uh, uh, the movie, The Matrix is listed as science fiction. And I tell people, no, uh, the movie, The Matrix is a documentary. Everyone's been programmed. That's just the way of life. That's how a human gets off the ground. First you put the program in. And the relevance about all that is then simply is what if I change the program? I go, now that was the whole idea. But if you never knew you had a program, then how would you even think about changing it? You never even knew you were programmed. But this is what the new science is revealing. Robin, if I just uh, close this little phrase with a a thing I've mentioned, 30 years in lecture. So people get it. And that's why I like to keep repeating the same story because like almost everyone gets it. And it's simply this. Sometime in, in your past, you were very close to a friend. You knew your friend's behavior very, very well. And you knew your friend's parent. And one day you see your friend has the exact same behavior as their parent. So of course, you know, you want to tell your friend, you see this and you go, Hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. And then I say, you back away from Bill. Cause the moment <laughs> Bill hears that, the first thing Bill's going to say, how can you compare me to my dad? I'm nothing like my dad. Most of the audience laughs because they've had that personal experience. I go, this is two profoundly important points of the same story. Profound point. Number one, everyone else can see that Bill behaves like his dad The only one who doesn't see it is Bill. (laughs) And that's because it's subconscious. And when he's playing it, he doesn't see it. Profound point number two, we are all Bill. Every one of us, every day, 95% of the time are playing these subconscious programs and like Bill unaware. And I say, but then what would be the ultimate consequence of this understanding? I say, We are playing programs that sabotage our life we don't see the program we see that life isn't working out the way we desire wish our conscious minds aspect it's not working and we're struggling and then basically what we do in that situation seeing that we're not seeing that we're involved uh, then everything is i'm a victim a victim of genes i'm a victim of environment i'm a victim of nature and that is complete disempowerment because that all of a sudden says, well, there's nothing you can do about it. You're a victim. <laughs> and we need to turn this completely around because the new biology is a complete opposite that says you're only a victim because of the programming. And if you change the programming, you don't have to be a victim anymore. I want to keep talking and I want to stop to give you an opportunity to say something. Uh, so I'll say one last thing on this point, And that is, I mentioned that the movie The Matrix is a science fact that we've all been programmed. And in the movie The Matrix, there's this opportunity to take a blue pill or a red pill. If you take the blue pill and you wake up, life is just the way it's always been. But if you take the red pill, you get out of the program. And I said, life, that the movie is a documentary. And I say, okay, if it's documentary, what about this red pill? And then I go, here's the cool part. Most people... Have taken that red pill without knowing it and profoundly changed their life, like in twenty four hours, and I say, when someone falls in love, all of a sudden their life could be blah 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 blah, every day, and then they meet this special person, and twenty four hours later they 're riding high, life is beautiful, life is wonderful, I feel so great, the food's good, the music's good, even the job's not so bad i 'm enjoying life I go. How could your life be blah, 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 and then in 24 hours, all of a sudden, you have heaven on earth, and the answer is simple. Biology has recognized that, that when we fall in love like that, we stop playing the programs and start operating from the conscious mind, wishes, and desires, and what did we manifest in just 24 hours? Heaven on earth. Point very clear. Heaven on Earth is available all the time, except that we play the damn programs that get in the way. And the moment you stop playing them is the moment you experience that high quality heaven on earth life.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the whole phenomenon of falling in love, because one of the things that's most compelling about your arguments, I mean, being a former medical school professor, you talk about the actual science of it. And I'd love it if you would walk through what I've heard you do before, which is the actual chemicals that are released in uh, a state of love or being in love. So think think like first year that you meet your beloved and then walk us through what's happening in the body when you're in a state of fear, because this makes it really obvious how true it is that our reaction to our environment is dictating our biology far more than just some genetic SNPs.
1: Yeah, you know what's interesting is because I started all this out, I'm a cell biologist and I was growing stem cells in culture and stem cells are uh, the equivalent of embryonic cells Uh, and the reason we have stem cells is that the body is not a single entity, the body is a community of 50 trillion cells Relevance about this is the cells are the living entity, okay? And there are 50 trillion of them and they live in a community underneath our skin. And the relevance about this is that every day we lose hundreds of Billions of cells die naturally. Red blood cells are dying continuously. Skin cells, hair cells, the lining of the gut is replaced every three days. It's like, wow, these are massive die-offs of cells. I go, well, if we don't replace these cells, we would die. And I go, yes. And I said, well, then how come we stay alive? And I go, because every body is filled with stem cells. And in that body, when cells die, the stem cells, the embryonic cells are there to replace the dying cells. And this is why we stay alive no matter how many cells we lose every day. So I'm working with these stem cells and I'm cloning a stem cell. And that means I just put one stem cell in a dish by itself and it divides every 10 hours in in the culture dish. First, there's one, then there's two, and then there's four, eight, 16, doubling and doubling. And after a week, 30,000 cells in the Petri dish. And I say, what's relevant? Relevant is this. They all came from one parent. So I have 30,000 identical twins, so to speak. All the cells are genetically identical. I split the cells into three different Petri dishes. So each dish, all the dishes have genetically identical cells. What I do, though, is I change the composition of what is called culture medium. You say, what's, what's culture medium? I say, well, that's the environment in which I grow cells, a fluid environment. I say, well, what does culture medium represent? I say, culture medium is equivalent of blood. So when I grow human cells, I look what human blood is made out of, and then in the lab, create a version of that called human culture medium. If I grow mouse cells, I look at mouse blood composition and make mouse culture medium. Here's what I did in my experiment. Because I make up the culture mediums put in a lab, I can change a a composition a little bit. And I create three different versions of culture medium. Let's just call them A, B, and C. These are the environments that I'm going to grow cells in. So in dish one, I feed a culture medium A with one chemical composition. In dish two, I feed it with culture medium B, different composition, and in dish three, yet another different culture medium. But remember, all the cells have genetically, all the plates have genetically identical cells. In dish one, the cells form muscle. In dish two, the cells form bone. In dish three, the cells form fat cells. And now comes the most profound question. What controlled the fate of the cells? And the first thing is this. They were all genetically identical. So I can't say there were muscle genes in one and fat genes in the other. No, they all had the same genes. It was the environment, the culture medium that controlled the fate of the genetics. Now you go, well, that's a neat laboratory experiment. Now I'm going to just translate this into human experience instantly by telling you I said a body is made out of 50 trillion cells. So essentially a human body is a skin covered Petri dish with 50 trillion cells inside. I go, and is there a culture medium? I go, yes, the original culture medium, blood. And I go, oh, so a, a, a human body is like a culture dish with 50 trillion cells and the blood is the culture medium. I go, it's exactly the same uh, if the cells are in a plastic dish and I feed them the culture medium there. And so so I say, what? I said, in the lab, it was the chemical composition of the culture medium, the blood, that determined the genetics and the behavior. I go, it does not make a difference if the cell is in the body or the cell is in a plastic dish. It's still controlled by the environment and the chemistry. I go, in the body, that's the original culture medium, blood. Now we're left down to final pieces. Well, if the chemistry of the blood is controlling the genetics and the behavior. Then the first question you ask is, well, where does the chemistry come from? And then I say, it comes from the brain. The brain is the chemist adjusting the blood composition. And then comes the most serious one. Well, what chemicals should the brain put into the blood? And this is the amazing result of that question. And that is this, whatever the picture in your mind is, The brain translates that picture into complementary chemistry, chemistry that matches the picture. So for example, if you're sitting there and your eyes are closed and you open them up and you see someone you love, the mind has a picture of love. Well, guess what? It releases chemistry of love. Dopamine for pleasure. Vasopressin makes you more attractive to your partner oxytocin bonds you to that love source. Growth hormone is released when you're in love, which by the name is, gives you vitality. And that's why when you're in love, the chemistry of the culture medium, blood contains wonderful chemistry. As I mentioned, dopamine, vasopressin, oxytocin, growth hormone. These are things that enhance your vitality. That's why when people fall in love, the, they glow, they glow because they, their, their culture medium is enhancing vitality. But then I say, wait, the very same person opens their eyes, but in this time they see something that scares them. I go, oh, uh, a picture of fear releases totally different chemistry into the blood. In fear, you release stress hormones. In fear, you release hormones that affect and shut down the immune system. All of a sudden, I say the chemistry and fear is like cortisol, stress hormones, uh, histamine, norepinephrine. These are stress hormones, uh, factors that shut off the immune system called cytokines. These are released into the blood. So I say, wait a minute. The composition of blood and love has a different chemistry, one that enhances vitality. But guess what? The composition of blood in a state of fear shuts down vitality. You go, well, why would you do that? And the answer is very simple. Fear provokes the belief of fight or flight. I got to run. I got to protect myself. I got to take care of myself. To do that, fear requires that you mobilize all the energy of your body to deal with the threat. I go, well, what does that mean? I said, well, if you're being chased by a saber-toothed I don't need for the body to maintain itself and purify the blood and clean up the, the body and do all this kind of stuff. I don't need the immune system to deal with bacteria if I'm being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. These, the immune system and taking care of the body requires a lot of energy. So if I'm in a state of fear, I shut down those systems so I can conserve the energy to run away from the tiger. So that's what fear chemistry does, shuts down the vital mechanisms to put all the energy to run away from a tiger. I say, well, then the blood, the culture medium in love is different chemically than the culture medium in fear. I go, yeah, but what's the significance? I say, go back to the tissue culture dish. When you change the chemistry, you change the behavior and the genetics and the vitality of the cell. I say, so it doesn't make a difference if it's in the plastic dish or the human dish. And then I say, so ultimately, what does all of this come down to? The answer is this. Your physical biology, your health, your emotions and behavior are totally linked to your interpretation of the world. As you change your interpretation of the world, you change the chemistry, which then in turn changes the genetics and the behavior of the system. And why is this relevant? The old belief that genes control my life, I'm a victim. I can't control the genes. I can't change them. They turn on and off, blah, blah, blah. And I say, Yeah, but what about the new biology, which is called epigenetics? I go, Oh, it's how you see the world and the environment in which you live, which determines your genetics and your behavior. And as a result, that's why we come to that new understanding. Less than 1% of disease is actually due to genetics. The other 90 plus percent of disease is actually just a consequence of not living in harmony. And as a result, putting chemistry into your culture medium blood that doesn't support health and happiness. Uh, And all of a sudden it says, well, since I can change my perception, since I can change my environment, I can control that. And I go, yes. And as a result, I am the master of my genes. I am the master of my health. Only once I recognize that I'm using my consciousness to create it. And that's freedom. And that's what uh, the whole new message is all about. This is what your show is all about. Let's put some freedom back into people's lives. Let them create and not create out of programs that have disempowered us.
0: Yeah, there are so many ways that we choose into being a victim or we choose into creating and serving. And you have some beautiful content on self-forgiveness. and. Why it has to start there. And it's it's funny because I before we got started with our interview, I I read to you the subconscious script that as I was deep in your content this weekend, I realized that this horrible script has been running beneath the level of my consciousness. My whole life, and I read you most of it, and you were like, "Oh, Robin, that's terrifying." And that's
1: toxic. Yeah. Those programs are toxic to enjoying life.
0: Yeah, and and we're, I'm going to do an episode on my reaction to this, and I'm going to read that script. And I was I looked over at Sue, who is a longtime follower of Green Smoothie Girl. That's my influencer uh, brand here, and has followed me from the very beginning. And now she works for us, and she runs the podcast. And she had very similar very similar uh, programming and she was just nodding and her eyes are really big she's like oh my gosh that you wrote that down and and so we're gonna we're gonna do that not not to be self-indulgent it's not about my stuff I'm gonna read it because I think that some people who want to focus on what's going on in their subconscious and what kind of imprinting they got in their first seven years are gonna have some awarenesses and they're gonna ha- they're gonna realize they have some scripts like that and becoming aware of it of course is you know, Stage one of turning that around. And, and I really appreciate your work in teaching us what role it plays in our biology. So I'll get back to the self-forgiveness part. Why don't you talk about that? But first of all, I, just a personal question. I heard you in your book talk about you've been honest that in making these discoveries, you realized you weren't a very happy person earlier on. And now you're, for decades now, lived in this completely different zone of waking up every morning feeling grateful and amazed for your life and in love with your wife. And so, can you talk a little bit about what what kind of Programming did you have in your first seven years, and what have you done to change
1: all that? Well, it's interesting because, in uh, bottom line, uh, my parents totally encouraged education and uh, anything that was education involved. They would not hesitate. You know, when I saw a microscope the first time and came home and talked about how exciting that was, they bought me a microscope. Uh, they supported that, but at the same time as they were encouraging me in my education, I was in a family where my mother and father's relationship was far from ideal. (laughs) And, and yet I'm recording their relationship behaviors. So my subconscious has got, uh, you know, was encouraged for science, but it was also discouraged from relationship because the programs I downloaded by observing my parents were programs that did not support a happy relationship. So without knowing all about the programming, most of my life was really reflecting what? Hey, in science, I was totally successful. In personal life, I was a total failure at that point. And once I started to understand the nature of the tissue culture thing and the nature of the programming, it was like, oh my God, I'm playing these programs and I'm sabotaging myself. Now, it's very important for the people out there. Let me help with a very, very important fact. And that is this, the programming starts even before you're born last trimester of pregnancy. You say a child is being programmed. I say, yeah, you know what? You can play music through the abdominal wall as a fetus is developing. And if you repeat that music and once the baby is born, you play that music, the baby will immediately recognize and pay attention to that music. If the father, uh, talks to the fetus by you know talking to the abdominal wall. And if he does that on a regular basis, which is the nature of habit, uh, when the baby is born, the moment the father says a word, the baby will know exactly which one the father was by the voice. Okay, so the, the baby is learning stuff. And uh, unfortunately, it's also um, learning about the world on the outside before it's born. I say, well, why is that? A simple point about nature is nature can make a sperm and egg with genes to make a human, but when this human is created, that fertilization of the egg, at the time it's created, what's going on in the world? I say, why? Because humans adapt to what's going on in the world all the time. So how does the fetus adjust its genetics to the world? And the answer is, it doesn't see the world, but it does because the mother's blood goes into the placenta which nourishes the fetus, and for years, even when I was in medical school, we'd talk about well what 's the role of a mother when she 's pregnant and go, "Oh, a mother, uh, she eats well, takes vitamins and minerals, does exercise, supplements whatever. this is the, you know being a good mother and I thought you know basically we 're just saying uh, you 're providing healthy blood, and the blood is for nutrition because at that time it was understood that genes control life. So the mother wasn't controlling the genes. The mother was only just feeding the fetus. So it didn't make a difference. What else the mother was doing? Now it turns out with a new science called epigenetics, where environment is controlling the composition of the blood with signals to coordinate the body. When the mother was carrying a fetus, how she was responding to the world, whether it was supporting her or whether she was insecure or whether she was in fear or whatever was going on, the fetus was experiencing that for the simple reason. The same chemistry that gives us our emotions and, and involves our consciousness crosses the placenta. So the baby experiences what the mother's experiencing. I mean, if the mother is insecure, the baby feels life is not supporting. If the mother is happy and it's being covered and everything is wonderful and beautiful, the information coming from the mother is life outside is grand. Or in the opposite, if life is a struggle, then the chemistry of struggle, which we experience as adults, is also crossing into the fetus. So a simple point. Fetal development is like a song. A song has music and a song has lyrics. But in fetal development, the fetus gets the song, meaning the emotional chemistry as it's coming in is like a song. Whether it's a scary song or a loving song depends on what the mother is experiencing. So the fetus experiences the music of emotion. But the fetus has no idea what it's all about. There's no storyline. There's no lyrics. It's just feeling, chemistry. So if there's a pattern that the mother experiences the fetus learns that pattern just like it could learn the voice of the father of the music. And so it learns a pattern of emotions, but it doesn't have lyrics. When it's born, it starts to create lyrics to match the pre-existing emotional program. So a lot of our emotions are programmed even before we were born. Okay. And then after that seven years, we're downloading these particular programs. Uh, And as I said, the vast majority of these programs, uh, are are negative and disempowering and self-sabotaging, uh, and then I say, yeah, but we were being programmed from before birth. Zero, one, two, three, four, five, up through seven. So uh, I asked a simple question. So uh, what program did you get when you were in the last trimester of pregnancy? Okay, okay, wait. What program did you get when you were zero? Okay, okay, wait. What program did you get when you were one? And you start to realize. I have no idea what the heck the programs were. I wasn't conscious. I wasn't aware of programming. And yet 95% of your life comes from the program. So here's the, uh, the beautiful insight. And that is this. Since 95% of your life is coming from the subconscious program, your life is a printout of your program. So basically, you want to know what your program is? Here's how you do it. You look at your life and you recognize all the things that you like that come into your life recognize that they're there because you have a program to support those things, that's why you're experiencing them. In contrast, everything that you wish for, desire and want for your life, whether it's relationships, health, good job, whatever it is, these are wishes and this is what you want, but you struggle to manifest them. You put a lot of effort and work into it. You sweat over, I'm gonna get this, I'm gonna make this. And then I stop for a second and say, why are you working so hard? to get those things, whether it's relationship or health or whatever? And the answer is simple. It's because the program that you got downloaded with does not support that end. And therefore, you're trying to override a negative program with effort and stress and hard work. You know, a diet program is like that. If you really, really work hard on that diet and keep conscious of it and keep that diet going, you can lose weight and then guess what the moment you let go of that consciousness, the weight will come right back to the preset condition it was at already because it was weight is preset in the in the subconscious, so you want to change that you have you have to not change your wish conscious mind belief mind desire mind you need to change the habit mind so conclusion for this little moment right here, Robin is. The character of your life is an expression of the character of your program. If you don't like the characters in your life, it's not to blame the environment. It's not to blame nature, the world. Blame yourselves if there's cancer. They they didn't form cancer on their own. They formed cancer because that was part of a program, a response. It's a, cancer is a symptom of a program that's not in harmony. And the idea about all this is when you become aware, A, you have a program, B, you can identify parts of that program that are not supporting you, then C, you have an opportunity to rewrite those programs. And I say, well, what does that mean? I say, well, what if you exchange a program with a negative character with a program that has a very positive character? I go, beautiful part. Once the program is changed, you never have to work on it again because the rest of your life, 95% of your life is coming from the program. So if you put in a program of love and happiness, you don't even have to look for love and happiness. It's automatic. It comes into your life all the time. Just as much as right now, stress might be coming into your life. Well, that's a program and you can change that. And so the beauty for me is, A, I, I was a scientist with my own personal issues. And as I started to understand this and get deep into it, my entire life changed because rather than looking at saying, oh, poor me, I have so much problems in creating relationships. Yeah, I'm a good scientist, but I really suck at relationships. Uh, Once I started to recognize that, it was an opportunity to rewrite relationship program. And what is the consequence of that? Well, uh, let's see. I met Margaret when I was 50. I'm 75 now. Uh, I would have to say 25 years of a honeymoon. Because the program that I erased, my father and mother's program that I downloaded, which was quite negative, and replaced it with what? Love and harmony and and the beautiful character. Then unconsciously, (laughs) for 20-some years, I've been living in a honeymoon experience without even any effort because my program is supporting that and I'm experiencing it. And that's the key to everything. If your life isn't right, if you're not the small less than 1% that have a genetic disorder that could interfere with it, then you can create this life and you can create what you want. You can create this heaven on earth experience. And then you go, well, that sounds so new agey. (laughs) And then I'll follow it up with the last piece on this. And that is simply quantum physics is the most valid science on planet earth. Quantum physics has been the most tested and verified, of every science on the planet. And I say, well, so what's the relevance? I go, first principle of quantum physics is consciousness is creating our life experiences. That's physics, the foundation of the universe. I go, relevance? This is exactly what the biology is now revealing the exact same thing. Physics and biology are telling us if you change your consciousness, you change the character of your life. And all of a sudden it says, ah, You are powerful once you have this knowledge. Knowledge is power. Knowledge of self. What we're talking about, by definition, is self-empowerment. And this is available. But if you don't have this knowledge, then you could go through your entire life as a victim and never knew that you were actually able to create anything you wanted besides that victim.
0: You talk about how mindfulness is how we create this heaven on earth, this nirvana in our life. And then with that mindfulness you have some sort of specific ideas on how we actually rewrite the program so that we can open up our mind and do quick downloads. And you're you're a fan of energy psychology, which is pretty great to hear from a former professor of medicine. There's a lot of energy modalities out there, and, and a lot of people think they're really woo-woo. Uh, let,
1: of- let me just help with that one second, Robin, because that goes back to my little sidebar about the quantum physics. Quantum physics uh, recognizes that The old belief, which is based on Newtonian or classic physics, is that the universe is divided into energy and matter, and that they don't really interact with each other. So if you're a physical body, you can only affect it through physical things like chemicals and drugs. That's the old belief. Quantum physics comes in and says matter itself is an illusion. And it is an illusion. If we had time, I would talk about it. But the fact is matter doesn't exist. This is all energy. And I go, why is it relevant? it's energy. It's to affect energy. It's easier to affect it with a pure form of energy vibration than to use a a chemical energy. And all of a sudden it says, yeah, healing, we don't need all these chemicals and things like that. Energy is a consciousness. We change the thought energy and the thought energy is shaping the physical character. And all of a sudden it says, that's your freedom. That's your point of taking power And taking charge of your life. So as I said, you can look at your life and say, wherever that struggle is, if you really understand that it's not coming from the outside, that it's an inside job, then you also can recognize you're the power that can change that inside. And therefore, you're the power of the creator. You are creating your life through your consciousness. Physics and biology both say the exact same thing. So energy healing, energy psychology is actually the most in alignment with the new physics.
0: Yeah, so some of those modalities, if you're not recognizing what energy psychology is, or that's how Dr. Lipton refers to it, which I think is really interesting and it's validating, um, are things like, I would say, EMDR and the body talk. Um, You could probably think of others, Bruce, but you refer to it as super learning, which I think you mean, I don't have to go read a whole book about it and try to memorize facts. I literally am able to just open up and rewrite some of this negativity from pre-consciousness when all this became set. But it's not set. We can overwrite it. Tell us more about how we overwrite it. Well,
1: the first thing is, as we mentioned, first you have to recognize what you want to override. So that's where we have to assess the current situation. And then when you assess the current situation, let's say, uh, um, I'll tell you one one of the biggest problems is, and I've found this in working in in energy psychology workshops, having the participants uh, test for this belief. And the belief is, I love myself. It turns out over 80%, usually 90% of every audience, a person will not be positive for I love myself. I go, well, this is the biggest problem in the world. If you don't love yourself, no one else can love you either. <laughs> because if someone loves you, you're going to have to say, how can you love me? I'm not lovable. I know I'm not lovable. You say you love me. You must have you know, poor judgment or something if you say that. Uh, we will turn away love without even knowing we're pushing it away. Uh, and the reason is the function of the mind. Ooh, this is a real important one. You know, this is a underline this sentence. The function of the mind is to create coherence between your beliefs and your reality. So if I have a belief I'm not lovable, then the function of the mind is to create behavior to demonstrate that. I will sabotage all my relationships unconsciously because the belief is I'm not lovable. And this affects the such a biggest part of our lives because the the reason, let me emphasize, why why do so many of us have a, a belief of not being lovable? Uh, And the answer is simply this. Parents, in raising that child in the first seven years, where I say the programs come in to create the life that we have, parents have a tendency to act like coaches on a sports team. If a player on a team isn't doing well, the coach needles the player. Come on, you can do better than that. Who do you think you are? You don't deserve to be on this team. The relevance in saying that by a coach to a player who is over seven years of age is that. By the time you get to be seven and older, you're operating from conscious thinking, conscious awareness. The coach doesn't mean I don't deserve things in my life. The coach is just trying to say, look, if you work harder, you'll do better. But that takes an interpretation. If a child is under seven, and this is where the critical part comes in for all of us, under seven, we're not actually in consciousness. We're in theta, which is below consciousness, which is record So a parent trying to needle the child to do better says, come on, you can do better than that. You don't deserve this. You're not that smart or whatever. not saying that that's the whole life. That's just saying right now that's the irritation and I'm trying to needle you to do better. And I go, well, that's really a grand idea, parent. I only have one problem with that. And that is if the kid is under seven, they're not interpreting what you're saying. They're just recording what you are saying. And I go, that's why... Up to 70% of the programs in our subconscious mind, which are just downloaded recordings from hearing from parents, are beliefs that (laughs) are self sabotaging and limiting beliefs. So, you know, that's not good enough. You could do better. What what, I'm recording that. I go, so what's the relevance? I say, well, if 95% of your life is coming from the recording and the mind's function is to take that recording and turn it into reality, and I go back and I say, so tell me about those recordings not good enough, not smart enough, not lovable, not deserving, uh, whatever those criticisms were, they now have taken on a lifetime expression because they're recorded just as they are. You heard, you, you know, uh, you threw a tantrum at five years old in the Kmart because you wanted a toy. Your father was angry because he wanted to get you out of the store and then yelled, you don't deserve that toy. That just got downloaded. I do not deserve if you're nine years old and you start to throw a tantrum in Kmart over the toy, your father says you don't deserve that. You know, we had, uh, at nine years old, the child's saying, "Yeah, my dad wants to go, and I'm irritating him, and that's why dad's yelling." Below seven, I just recorded, not not good enough, not deserving. And then I say, and yeah, now play that program. Ninety-five percent of your life. And play it with a mind whose job it is is to create behavior to complement the programming. And then you realize, my God, I've been struggling all my life to get something, and I keep failing. And then you think, uh, oh, the universe isn't supporting me. I say, no. Unconsciously, your behavior was sabotaging you, so that your mind was making sure that your life experience matched your program. And so I said, well, what would happen if you put a great program in, like I'm lovable? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a wonderful human. I, I love myself. I go, what, what if you put that program in? I say, if that plays 95 percent of the day, you're broadcasting, you're a lovable person. You have a vibration of love all around you. I go, why well, is it relevant? It will attract everything that is in the same vibration of love, and repel actually anything that is counter to love because it's not in harmony with that love broadcast. So all of a sudden, it says we can rewrite this program. And then you say, well, how do you do it? And that's where all of a sudden I say, at one point, and for most people, even at this minute, they think that the conscious mind and the subconscious mind are connected as one. And I say, why is that relevant? Because, oh, I just heard Bruce say, if I just changed my mind and I can be lovable, then I could do that. So then you say, okay, you tell yourself, I am lovable. <laughs> I go, who are you talking to? Well, you're you're talking to subconscious because it doesn't have the program at this moment. So you say, I am lovable. And uh, then I say, guess what? There's nobody in the subconscious. It's a machine, just like a CD recorder. You put a CD in, you put a program on it. And then every time you push play, the program will play over and over and over again. So the idea about that is if you didn't like the program that's on a CD and you go up to the CD player and you say, CD player, change the program. I don't like this program. Give me one that I love. I say, you could talk to your blue in the face and never change the program because there's nobody in there. And the subconscious is just a record playback device. So it requires a different approach to push the record button. And all of a sudden, the first thing is talking to yourself, that's not really going to do it. I say, how do you put a program in? I say, well, naturally, the programs were, there are two ways programs were put in. For the first seven years, the brain was operating in a lower vibration, theta, which is hypnosis. So hypnosis, if I'm in hypnosis, I can download a program straight into the subconscious, straight into the record device, okay? After age seven, you learn new programs. Ride a bike, drive a car, do a job by repetition. So you want to play a musical instrument? Guess what you have to do? Practice, repeat, repeat, repeat. So Before age seven, you download stuff just by hearing it because you're in hypnosis and whatever you hear is going straight into subconscious, not even passing in conscious, just straight in sub. And then after age seven, you acquire new behaviors by repeating them, making habits over and over again. Once a habit is in there, then it's in there for life. Uh, And a lot of people think, well, the subconscious is evil. I want to straighten that out. The subconscious is like a CD player. Is your CD player evil? I go, no. The program you put in it might be, but the CD player itself is not. The subconscious is the most fabulous addition to our life for a simple reason. When did you learn how to walk? Before you were two? Did you ever have to relearn how to walk? I go, no, you could be 70, 80, 90 years old. It's still got the same program in it. And you can play it forever, okay? Well, if you get good programs, that's great. If you get negative programs in there, well, that's the bad side because until you change the program, that play, program will play forever. So then we go back, change the program. Two fundamental ways, hypnosis, which is the way you learn the first seven years. And just to help people with that, to facilitate, it's very simple. Every night when you go to bed, when your consciousness, when you're at work, your consciousness is at a higher vibration called beta, high vibration. When you come home and relax, the consciousness goes into calm consciousness, which is a lower vibration, which is called alpha. But just as you fall asleep, the vibration goes a little bit lower in the brain. Consciousness is shut off, but subconscious is on. That's theta. That was exactly what happened in the first seven years. I said, why is it relevant? If you put earphones on as you're going to bed and put a program that you want to be true of your life and you get these self-hypnosis programs tapes cds whatever Uh, and as you go to bed guess what the moment the conscious mind falls asleep the subconscious mind is operating in theta so whatever is coming through the earphones when you have them on when you fall asleep is not is bypassing consciousness that went to sleep but the signal the story the message is going straight into the subconscious that's called auto uh hypnosis self-hypnosis you can do this every night that's one way number two After age seven, you can make a program change, but habituation, you have to repeat it over and over and over and over again. Uh, I like the new age phraseology. It's kind of humorous and it's called fake it till you make it. And that means, let's say you're not a happy person and you want to be a happy person. So I say, what would you do? I say every day, as many times you can think about during the day, you say to yourself, I am a happy person. You are putting in a program by repetition. That's the habituation part. You keep repeating it. I am happy. I am happy. No matter how unhappy you might be. I say, what will happen? There's a point where repetition will ground that program into your subconscious. And the moment it's grounded in the subconscious, guess what? Then 95% of the day, what's the function of the mind? To create coherence between your life and the program. So now you've downloaded, I am happy. What's the function of the mind? to create an environmental experience to manifest happiness. So once the program is in there, just like walking, you never have to even work on it again. It's automatic for the rest of your life, but you have to get it in. So first way of getting it in, auto-hypnosis, earphones on at night at bed. Second way of getting it in is repetition of a phrase that you want to be true in your life. And then the third way, which we mentioned, and I think it's the most exciting way, because civilization is at a crossroads right now uh, of facing its own extinction. Uh, the chaos in the world is a reflection of that. Uh, the extinction process we're facing, science is recognized due to human behavior. So the simple point is this. If we want to save ourselves as individuals and as species on the planet, we have to change our behavior because that's where the problem is coming from. And I say, well, behavior is a program. I go, yeah. So interestingly, the more urgent (laughs) we need to change the programming, energy psychology shows up. And it's really exciting because it engages, as you mentioned, something like super learning. You go, what's super learning? Well, I'll give you an example of super learning is if you've seen a person in a bookstore read a book by moving their finger down the page, as fast as they move their finger from the top to the bottom of the page, they've read every word on that page. So they can stand in a bookstore in a matter of about 10 minutes, just flipping the pages and moving their finger down, read an entire book. That's super learning. If you engage that process in downloading beliefs, ah, that means you can change a belief in minutes Rather than days or weeks, you can change it in minutes in a super learning state. So a number of the energy psychology modalities, uh, uh, there's so many of them. In some way, they all initiate a super learning experience that allows you to take a program that you want to be true, put it into the system using a super learning character behavior, and, and walk away minutes later with a change program. This is like the most exciting Thing that i could ever imagine in the world right now is because you can look at your life and say it doesn't work right and then i say well, okay find all the beliefs that you would like to be true and then you can start to download them into your subconscious and once they're in the subconscious you will automatically without even any effort after that manifest them like you're manifesting them right now but unfortunately most of the ones we manifest right now are not that supportive But if we change them to supportive programs, then unconsciously, 95% of the day, you would be manifesting heaven without you even putting an effort into it. That's the beautiful destination.
0: I have so many personal reactions running through my mind. I decided three years ago that I was giving a lot of negative energy to this thing that I would say, which is, I'm not a marketer. I hate marketing. I used to say that. And I realized three years ago that I'd written 14 books and some of them did well and but I wanted to learn marketing, except I didn't really want to. And I thought I'm gonna start with I don't, I will not even allow myself to think I hate marketing or I don't know how to do marketing. Because here I have this business of 25 employees and we're doing all kinds of things that marketing is central to. You know, you can't write a great book and hit all the, the bestseller lists if you don't do any marketing. So I was sabotaging myself. I started saying, anytime I'd start to catch myself talking about how I don't feel competent in marketing, whatever it was I would say, I would literally say to myself over and over and over again, I love marketing. I'm learning marketing. Marketing is the challenge that I'm working on, whatever. And I said this to myself a lot. And what is crazy is three years later, my book was like this crazy bestseller. It's selling in all kinds of other languages now. And I have colleagues coming to me all the time, almost daily saying, hey, you're a ninja marketer. Let me ask you some questions. And I find I get on the phone with them and I have a lot to say. I'm having this little reaction to something that happened yesterday. I was telling my dearest friends who I just had a little staycation with because it was three of our birthdays this last week and just came home yesterday from a little overnight staycation down in Salt Lake City when I was telling my psychotherapist girlfriends that I was going to interview you. And some of the things that I've been thinking about, and I told them about that, this subconscious script that I, that I read you part of that I, that I realized has been literally sabotaging me. And here I am in my fifties, long career as an author, as a therapist. And I'm sitting here talking to my girlfriend, who's also a therapist. And unlike me, she's been doing private therapy her entire adult life. And this woman is one of the most beautiful women I've ever known. She's the kind of woman who walks into a room and heads turn I don't even know how many times I've been with her in a restaurant, and some guy from across the room sends her a drink. She's that kind of woman, and yet when she looks in the mirror, and she tells me she does it, she looks in the mirror, she pulls her, she puts her palms on the side of her face and pulls it back, and she she imagines herself with some kind of I don't know some kind of facial surgery. She constantly talks about how she's fat. She talks about being fat, and she talks about being ugly. And I feel like I want to I want to go over to her house with a bunch of like five by seven cards and tape them to her mirror and tell her she can't take them down until she has made it habitual to say 10 times a day, which is, I am beautiful. All these worthiness messages. I feel like doing that kind of as just a fun little, you know, joke or hack, but really sending her the message because I always tell her, I said, do you understand that there is not a person on this planet who would look at you and say, uh, Oh, that woman is fat or that woman is not attractive. And so again the power of the subconscious i want to i want to help her with that habituation that you're talking about What what do you have to do say i am beautiful 20 times i feel like women i'm starting to realize men have the same you know negative uh repetitive thought patterns going through their minds but i feel like my experience is mostly with women that we look in the mirror and think a negative thought dozens of times a day did you know that about women i bet you do
1: I, I I think it's not only women. I think it's everyone. Looks and they can criticize themselves because their programming was critical. You, you know, the, men, you're you're not strong enough. Whatever the whatever the heck that programming is, they have. Everyone has this issue. This is this, this is why I'm talking about uh, why the movie The Matrix is a documentary. Every one of us got programmed, and uh, with very few exceptions, and from history, but changing as we move into the future. Uh, in history most of the programming was disempowering and and uh, and taking away uh our powers all all the time Uh, and so it's not just women men have to deal with their bad programming because they got bad programming and women get bad programming and somehow or other we're trying to figure out how to make harmony and balance when both systems are are not programmed to support this harmony Uh, and that's why you know in creating a relationship uh as i said the First, the most important thing of creating a relationship is to create yourself. You have to be, what is it you want from somebody else? Well, you have to be that individual that's offering whatever they want.
0: So I, I have a, another episode I'm going to do. And I don't know whether it'll be seven things or nine things. I'm collecting this from my following on Facebook. I said, what is something that you that you have? know you have to forgive yourself for? And oh, I'm getting the most heartbreaking things. Most heartbreaking things are pouring in, and I'm going to find the themes, and we're going to do an episode on that—a little bit of group therapy. But tell us a little bit about where self-forgiveness comes into play here, and how you do it.
1: Yes, absolutely. That's what the whole story is, and that's why your—you know—this effort that you have is to really get people to stop long enough and say, "Stop just playing this game in the head. Stand back like a third party. Look at yourself and look at the situation you're in." And assess it like a third party, going, "Wow, I'm not doing well in this, or I'm doing really great over here," and recognize that the ones you're not doing well in are not because the universe doesn't want you to do well. It's just that your own programming never supported that, and that's why the the beautiful part of the opportunity of reprogramming comes in. And as I said, you know, I I got some really bad relationship programming, and with my partner Margaret, we've been uh, together twenty some years now. We helped each other knowing that our programs were the problem, not us. That's where the, that's when a relationship, this is why the honeymoon fails and why relationships fail. Number one, when you fall in love, you stop playing the programs. And then all of a sudden you operate from the conscious mind, which is wishes and desires. So what do you think you're going to create? You're going to create fabulous life with wishes and desires. But the moment we start thinking is when conscious mind lets go, of the control goes inside because the thought is inside. So consciousness is like driving the vehicle, but as there's a moment of thought, consciousness gets out of the driver's seat, goes inside the brain to see what's going on, and guess what? Autopilot. Subconscious takes the wheel. Well, that's why I said 95% of the day is conscious minds in the back looking in the consciousness, and subconscious is driving the vehicle. That's why consciousness can't even see our own negative behavior because it's not looking It's looking inside at that time. So uh, it really becomes important for us to recognize that we have these behaviors. And when we stop playing them, ah, the red pill, honeymoon, love is fabulous and everything. But the honeymoon begins to fade. And the reason it begins to fade is because once life starts to get really busy again, even though you're in love, you still got a job and things to do. Once life gets busy your consciousness goes inside, oh, yeah, what am I going to do? i got to fix this, blah, blah, blah. And I go, but the moment your consciousness stops being present, stops being what is called mindful, and goes inside thinking, then the behavior that's playing now is coming from the subconscious. And I go, why is that relevant? I said, well, 70% of that behavior sucks. It's really bad. I say, so what's the significance? I say, you've been with a partner, both of you creating from conscious wishes and desires and manifesting heaven on earth. Really cool. OK, but then all of a sudden, as you start thinking, your parents start coming in, your family behavior starts showing up and your partner has never seen this. Because remember, when you fell in love, you didn't play these negative programs. You were running from consciousness. And, but as the uh, relationship continues and the thinking starts to take more over in the time space and the subconscious starts playing more of its programs, then behaviors show up that were never part of the honeymoon and many of them negative. And all of a sudden, the the light of that honeymoon gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer as more and more negative programs show up. And these negative programs leads to arguments between the couple is separation. And the hard part about separation is simply this. When the person is thinking and playing their subconscious behavior, they don't see they're doing it. That's Bill. He doesn't see he's like his dad, but his partner sees that he's like his dad and then blames him for that crummy behavior. And then you have to realize when he just did that behavior, behavior he didn't even see it. <laughs> he was in his head. The behavior was automatic. And I said, well, what's the problem? I said, well, then the, the partner that is observing this bad behavior uh, says, what kind of behavior is that? Who are you? What's going on? And then not realizing that the person who just played that really crummy behavior, they themselves didn't even see it. So they're going like, what are you talking about? They don't even see it. This leads to arguments. And I'm saying, but if both partners knew that these behaviors are going to show that they're not part of the individual, that they're part of the programming. Then when a negative program shows up, rather than getting into an argument, there's an opportunity to change the program. You know, like, oh, did you know how you just said this was such a negative thing? You compromised this or that, whatever. All of a sudden, it's not fighting with each other. It's an opportunity to say, this behavior that showed up wasn't the greatest one. And if you want to change it, that's what we just talked about. You can change it. And as a couple start to rewrite those negative things that would show up and replace them with very positive things, guess what? Then there's the point where, my God, every day, heaven on earth, because the behaviors you are now playing are all behaviors that support the harmony and the love and the relationship because you've rewritten the negative ones. And this is really the destination so that couples Instead of getting in arguments over the other person's behavior, mainly of which they didn't even see they were doing, a conversation instead of an argument can lead to a a change in behavior and a rewriting of a program that will enhance the relationship ever more and better.
0: Fascinating and very hopeful and very empowering. We've been totally focusing on the biology of belief, although I think you've woven in some of your work from your other two books. Um, Give us a little abstract of your book, Spontaneous Evolution. What's that about?
1: Well, uh, the important part about this is that evolution has always been associated with a change in uh, organism structure and function, you know, like the body changes and this animal evolved into that animal and all that. Uh, But we have also then emphasized that evolution is based on genetics. So that as you go from the primitive organism, the bacterium, up to the so-called tree of life, where organisms are distributed as you go up to the tree to more and more complex, with humans presumably at the top, the whole idea was, oh, evolution is greater characters, uh, and therefore greater genetics. When they did the Human Genome Project, the whole thing fell apart because the human has the same number of genes as a a miniature worm called Xenorhabditis elegans, a half-inch worm with 1,271 cells. It's got 20,000 genes. A human with 50 trillion cells has 20,000 genes. So all of a sudden, the idea that evolution was based on a genetic enhancement over time falls out the window. And now what we're recognizing that evolution is an expression of consciousness. And so the evolution we're facing at this moment is to change our consciousness from the self-destructive behaviors we've been programmed with into the harmonious, healthy, environmental love. And so evolution is not that, oh, I'm just going to change and get extra fingers, extra brain or whatever the heck. No, no. Evolution is to change consciousness. How fast does that take? I said, well, it's virtually spontaneous. And we're being pushed to change consciousness because the way we have been programmed, the consciousness that we've been living by, is actually directly responsible for the extinction called the sixth mass extinction of life that we are experiencing right now. The chaos on the planet, all of it, whether it's economic, religious, racial, I don't care, whatever crisis that you read in the headlines, all these crises are part of a simple fact. Human behavior is creating a mass extinction. And we're we're losing nature and life form so quick. And people don't recognize, hey, we're part of that nature life form. We're the web of life. If the web collapses, so do humans collapse. And we're talking about a loss of human civilization within 100 years. I say, well, what's the resolution? The answer is we are creating this world through our consciousness. If we want to evolve, we don't change our body. We change our consciousness. And this is where we are right now. People are waking up saying, the way I've been living does not work. So what does it mean? So well, I gotta change the way I'm living. I go, aha. Uh, this is the nature of evolution in the whole planet. Every population is facing the issue that it's not working. And in fact, it's dying. So this is a wake-up call. We must evolve. We must recognize we are creating this because if we recognize we're creating it, that is the first step in creating something better. <laughs> when we know that we're, this is not an accident, we're not victims of evolution, we're manifesting evolution. So this is the wake up call for humanity at this moment with all the global crises at every level from environment to behavior to everything uh, is really uh, dependent upon us to awaken to the fact that we are creators and we need to change the creation that we're manifesting because it's going to eliminate us. Interesting.
0: I have one more question for you, and it really is, had I invited you onto the show for our Learn From Your Elders series where we were celebrating our 100th episode, I totally could have had you on here for that. You are 75 after all and still doing your best work and bringing forth more from your heightened level of consciousness. But even though I really just wanted to have you on to talk about the biology of belief, I want to ask you a question that I asked virtually all of our 65 and older guests in that series, and that is your 75-year-old self. If you could go back in time and you could have a message for your 30-year-old self so that you could live at a higher vibration from a younger age, what would you tell him? This I think will be useful for folks who
1: are younger. I think exactly the same kind of things we had the discussion about right now, that the character of my life that was unfolding, I was not a victim of that, that I had the opportunity to rewrite and change programs that things that did not support me had i done that instead of waiting until i was nearly 45 50 years old before i even thought about all this stuff i could have had an extra 30 or more years of honeymoon experience on this planet which now is what i'm living but that was a result of understanding oh my god i am not a victim i am a creator and if the creation isn't looking good not to blame the environment but to go inside and get to the source and as i said Not only is biology uh, expressing this in a new thing called epigenetics, which means control above the genes, which is consciousness, uh, but it's the same exact thing that quantum physics uh, is saying too. So it's like, wow, the coherence of these sciences are very important because we are not accidents. We are creators. And if the creation doesn't look good, it's only... Uh, up to us to change that creation, not to uh, expect or anticipate that outsiders would be changing that for us. If I'd known that early, I would have said, hey, if it wasn't working, I got to go change the program. But I, I had to wait 45, 50 years to get to that level. But I would go back and love to do that.
0: We have a lot of people who follow us who, like me, are single moms and have sort of failed in relationships in in some ways. And I think it's really, really hopeful that you met your love at age 50, that there's so much life yet to be lived in midlife and beyond, and that you're still in love with your wife after 25 years. So exciting. My grandfather was a chain-smoking alcoholic, divorced four times when he met the love of his life at about the age of 50 as well. And he loved her for the 45 years before he died. And she was also a chain smoking alcoholic. And they gave that up and they chose to love and they used their life experience and their higher consciousness to create this wonderful uh, life together. And so I love hearing that because I think people get to 50 and may fall into that trap of thinking, I'm
1: sort of baked here. I'm already done. Like Yeah. It's exciting to me because a lot of people think, oh my God, now getting past this age and that's the rest and the end. And it's like, no, this is the beginning because we acquire wisdom with time. And if we can get this wisdom to be acquired by younger people, then there's greater life experiences of what most of us learn around 50. And the beautiful part about it is uh, so many people think, oh, I'm getting to be 50 and I'm not in the relationship or something like that. I know, this is a great time. This is the part where you know who you are, know what you want, no compromising. You look for what you want because the old day was, oh, well, I'll put up with this person. I, I like a lot of the characteristics, but a bunch of them suck, and, but I like a lot of them. I go, well, you're compromised. <laughs> uh, and because we're so looking for love on the outside. And this is where I said, that was where the problem came from. I had to first learn to love myself, otherwise nothing would have happened in the positive level. I had to go look at myself and go, oh my God, you keep seeking love. You're you're really putting a lot of weight on this other person in regard to what you expect, that they're gonna give you this love. And it's like, you can't give it to yourself, you're already in trouble. So that was the big wake up call really, was to recognize, oh my God, my critical upbringing uh, really took me away from that destination. And once I started to recognize it uh, and change it and start to love myself, then is when I met the most wonderful potential people in my life. Because when I love myself, that was an attractor, <laughs> an electromagnetic field. Because people can recognize, oh, there's harmony by himself. Ah, <laughs> I don't have to give that harmony. That's the hard part. That's what codependent relationships are all about. Is yeah, I'll give you this, you give me that. And then I say, no, no, forget codependency. First, learn to spin in harmony yourself. Because if you're in harmony yourself, you don't need somebody. Well, that is the best ground for creating a relationship. Because if you create a le- relationship for a need, I need to have somebody in there. By definition, you've already put the program of codependency into the relationship. I need you. No, you don't want that. First, you have to really say, I'm so happy by myself. I don't really care if anybody's here or not. Because once you are self-sustaining like that, the energy will be attractive to other people who are like that as well. And then all of a sudden, guess what? You bring in what you were looking for. Mm,
0: I love that. Well, this has been everything that I dreamed it would be. I've been thinking about this all weekend and rereading your book, The Biology of Belief. Everyone, Dr. Bruce Lipton is the author of of The Biology of Belief, Spontaneous Evolution, and the honeymoon effect i'm so grateful for your time today um such an exciting conversation anywhere else that people can find you just
1: uh, simple bruce Lipton.com, and everything we talked about is downloadable videos audios written papers all free you can download all that stuff
0: wonderful thank you so much for being with us today
1: robin i want to thank you so much for letting me speak to your wonderful audience and i'm wishing them all the happiness, health, and love they can find because that's why we came here. Uh, and so, wishing everyone success.
0: Hey everyone, quick pause for just a word about the sponsor of this episode, my friends at IntelliBed. You may have heard me say that I had lifelong neck and back issues after a serious car accident I was in, not wearing a seatbelt when I was five years old. I was treated by chiropractors for that all through my adolescence and early adulthood. I also struggled with major sleep problems from about the time of my accident through my 30s. One thing I started doing changed my life and I've had exactly zero neck and back pain since I started sleeping on telebed many years ago. I even have one for each of my four kids. They even take theirs to college because as of right now, three of my children are college students. I first became interested in IntelliBed when I learned that foam and other types of mattresses are made from petrochemicals, and they off-gas pretty seriously for the entire lifetime of the product as you're using it, as you're sleeping on it, and so you're breathing fumes eight hours a day. But the organic beds made of all wood and cotton and the like were super expensive and not comfortable to sleep on. So I was very interested in, in this gel bed that not only supports you in a remarkable way and they can prove it with heat map testing, but also it doesn't off gas. We have a lot of chemical exposures and we sure don't need to be breathing in volatile organic compounds and a lot of other chemicals all night, every night. I love my IntelliBed so much that when I used to look forward to my business travel where I slept in Marriott's and Hilton's with their high-end beds, now I can't wait to get home from those beds because mine at home gives me absolutely the best sleep I've ever had. You can go to greensmoothiegirlcom slash IntelliBed to watch a webinar i recorded with the founder, sleep scientist Bob Rasmussen, to learn what the problems are in the bed industry and how IntelliBed has discovered a very different solution. And this should matter to you because you spend one third of your life sleeping. I was completely fascinated by this information that we present in the webinar, and I know you will be too. You can get a specially made, just for Green Smoothie Girl, organic cotton-topped IntelliBed. The bed itself is made with a patented gel used previously only in hospitals because patients don't get bed sores when sleeping on this bed. And now it's available to us at home. You can also get 10% off any IntelliBed as a listener of this podcast using the coupon code GREENSMOOTHIEGIRL, all one word. And again, you can watch the webinar or get your bed at greensmoothiegirl.com slash Intelbed.